Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. On December 1st, a business executive named Meng Wanzhou was arrested while transferring through the Vancouver airport. Her arrest came at the request of U.S. authorities. Ms. Meng is the CFO of the Chinese telecom giant Huawei, and she now faces extradition to the United States. About 10 days later, in an apparent retaliation for the arrest of Ms. Meng, a former Canadian diplomat and analyst with the International Crisis Group named Michael Kovrig was mysteriously detained in China. His arrest was followed by the detention of another Canadian businessman, Michael Spavor, under similarly opaque circumstances. These incidents have plunged Canada into a diplomatic crisis, and this crisis has implications far beyond Canada, according to my guest today, Stephanie Carvin. Stephanie Carvin is an assistant professor of international affairs at Carleton University in Ottawa. She's also the host of a podcast called Intrepid, and in this episode, we discuss both the details of this diplomatic crisis and why what is happening right now between China and Canada is something that every observer of international affairs ought to be paying close attention to. Uh, just a quick note before we begin. Happy New Year to everyone. This is the first episode I'm recording. I'm publishing after the New Year. Hope uh, 2019 treats you well. Let me know what kind of stories you want me to pursue, what episodes you'd like to hear in 2019. You can send me an email using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. I always love hearing from you, and I always get some great ideas. I know a few of you have recently sent me in your suggestions of podcast topics, and I'm kind of going through those uh, piece by piece. So thank you. All right, now here is my conversation with Professor Stephanie Carvin. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I would say, like, the, the the hard part of this is, like, this situation is just symbolic of all of the problems Canada's having right now in terms of um, its foreign policy, like, it just being caught between two different states, trying to scramble to find international support, not really being in a great position because, you know, I think we've let our foreign policy and national security muscles kind of um, – 
relax for a long time and and now we're having to use them and we're finding out much like many people in the gym in January that we are in fact a little doughy so it's like it's, it's that kind of thing and, and then also it's like there's the broader questions of like the relationship between the economy and national security and um which is which is also a, a challenging thing for us yeah I mean it seems that this that this incident is um sort of like you said a microcosm of a lot of different forces of international relations kind of coming together at at once and Canada seems to be caught in in the middle. Uh, what was the expression caught between an eagle and, and a dragon? Yeah, that's really it. Is it caught, did I use that? <laughs> yeah, I think you yeah. used that in maybe in your podcast, which is which I, is was a, a good way I think of symbolically sort of understanding the um, pickle that that Canada is in right now and the real human consequences that that's having on on at least two individuals detained in, in China right now. So who is Meng Wanzhou? So um, Ms. Meng is the CFO, the chief financial officer of Huawei, uh, which is, of course, a well-known Chinese. It's not a state-owned enterprise, but it's, it's a state-championed company that is a large telecommunications firm that has increasingly gone global. And she is, of course, also the daughter of the founder of Huawei. So um, I don't know, in some ways, it would be like as if Mark Zuckerberg's daughter was somehow the chief financial officer of Facebook and China had decided to arrest that person. Mm -hmm. So it is a, a really dramatic move. And this has uh, sparked outrage and a very considerable nation nationalist sentiment in, in China, because this isn't just, you know, you often hear her described as, as royalty in China because of, because of her position, because of the significance of Huawei. And, you know, it, it, it bears repeating that this is a state championed company, that this is the, this company Huawei is the vision, I think, that uh, President Xi of China has for China's future role in the world that, uh, you know, leading uh, a leading technology company that is, you know, flag waving for China, um, kind of being able to, to dominate the, the other companies, the other competition. And as such, I think this is why we are, in fact, seeing such a strong reaction. So what do we know about the circumstances of her arrest detention in Vancouver? So what we know about this arrest is that Ms. Meng was flying from Van, uh, flying to Mexico through Vancouver, and the Americans had a warrant for her arrest. It was a sealed warrant. Uh, they gave it to the Canadians. They knew that she was coming through. Uh, the Canadians, as a result, detained Ms. Meng and have now uh, put her into deportation proceedings. Uh, that was it was not known at first. I believe she was detained for a few days before that became public knowledge. But once it became public knowledge, it became a very significant issue. So what is going to happen now is that she has already uh, been to a judge. She was allowed to be out on bail. She had to put up, I think, as collateral, um, a couple million dollars, as well as four houses in Vancouver. The fact that she has four houses in Vancouver is <laughs> I think, a testament to her to her wealth, if nothing else, given yeah, how expensive I Vancouver is. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it's 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 an expensive proposition, mind you. I think she's a billionaire, so I'm not sure it's it's mm -hmm. um, that much for her in the long run. But uh, she also has to pay for her own uh, security, and she has to be monitored and these kinds of things. So that's the situation she's in. Well, now. do we know why the United States seeks her extradition? Right. So it has to do with the fact that 
she has been accused. It's my understanding she has been accused of basically circumventing U.S. sanctions on Iran. That basically she was using um, some kind of side company in order to uh, either sell or send technology to Iran in violation of U.S. sanctions. So it actually has nothing to do in theory, with the U.S.-China trade dispute or anything like that. It has to do more with U.S. policy on Iran. And um, Canada, of course, is is a country with a well-established rule of of law. So there are just like legal processes that need to be sort of fulfilled before this extradition request can be honored. Um, Is there a point in this process, this Canadian legal process, where like politics can influence whether or not um, she actually will get extradited to the United States. In, in other words, sort of if Canada is really feeling the pressure from China, can Canadian government officials simply um, delay or deny that extradition request? The answer to that question is yes. Um, now, in most circumstances, Canadian politicians have allowed individuals who have been, um, you know, where, there, where there's been a request for extradition, it usually goes through. And usually that's determined by a court process. The way it works in Canada is that there's a court process, the court says yay or nay to the detention uh, and an eventual um, extradition of this person. The Then um, if it is approved by the courts, it, then the final decision does rest with the Minister of Justice, who has to basically say whether or not this, this can happen. And, you know, like I said, in Canada, traditionally, this has been treated in a very procedural way. But there's no doubt in my mind that China, who doesn't really believe in the rule of law in the first place, like it just I, I don't think they have an understanding of what it is or, or how it actually works, um, or they take a very cynical view of it. They're going to see that political decision as a uh, as just that a, a political decision and not necessarily one based on on procedure or best practices but one that is going to ultimately determine whether or not um, uh, how China sees Canada for sure and and, and hence uh, China's um, decision to arrest in in pretty secretive fashion two Canadians, uh, Michael Kovrig uh, from the Crisis Group. He's someone I actually was emailing with uh, just last year. I just had some like regular reporter questions for him, and he's kind of like a you know he's a kind of a well known uh, China expert. And then Michael Spavor, who who I don't know at all, but who I've read up on, uh, a business person, and Michael Kovrig's a former diplomat and an expert from the the Crisis Group. Um, so what do we know about the circumstances of, of their detention right now? So unfortunately, we don't know a lot. Um, I think it's also worth noting Mr. Kovreg was also a former Canadian diplomat. Um, mm-hmm. So he, he, you know, there, there's a lot of concern there about his knowledge and, and what he what he knows, but also the fact that he has been um, detained in this way. Now, China, it is important to note China has not stated definitively that this is a retaliation. They, these individuals are being detained uh, because they've been accused of espionage in China, which is uh, fairly disturbing because it seems that, you know, they were um, in the case of, of Mr. Kovrig, that he was simply doing basic work for the International Crisis Group. And um, Mr. Spaber, who I, I don't actually I'm less familiar with, but seems to have uh, ties with North Korea, including helping uh, famously Dennis Rodman get from China to North Korea to visit his friend uh, Kim Jong-un, which is like, I'm sure for you, a whole other episode. Yeah. But, um, so I, I, it, it, it's unfortunate because, you know, 
say what you will about the whole situation with Ms. Meng, she has been afforded uh, the rule of law. Uh, she has been given due process. She has she's out on bail. She is, you know, so she's not exactly in, in a, a terrible situation. I'm sure she's not in a situation that she likes, but, you know, it, it's, it's not the worst place to be uh, in, in a house in Vancouver. Whereas these individuals, um, there's some concern about the actual conditions of their detention. The I believe they've had one diplomatic visit and and that's about it. I've you know there's been some reporting I believe by Reuters that the individuals are um, are being kept in you know small cells where the lights are on 24 hours a day. They're probably subject to harsh interrogation. Um, I, I can't say if they're being tortured, but certainly we know that other Canadians who have been detained in this situation, a similar situation, were uh, also uh, subject to what would be considered to be torture in, in a Canadian jail. And, and it's worth noting, these aren't like low profile people, but they're not super high profile people either. You know, they're kind of middle profile people that kind of... Um, Got to be terrifying if if you're some like business executive in Canada who does a lot of business in China and you know who knows if you might get swept up as as retaliation. Well, this is just it. I mean, uh, there was some speculation prior to the arrest of these individuals that that this is something that could happen. Um, I I was concerned about some uh, Canadian reporters who were in uh, China as well as, as business individuals, you know, uh, one of our large companies, Bombardier, who makes planes and, and uh, trains and things like that. They have a large presence there. And you have to wonder if the Bombardier executives were, were getting kind of worried uh, for being there as well. So um, I don't think this was necessarily uh, unpredicted uh, or unpredictable that there would be this kind of retaliation. Um, what I would say on uh, is that these individuals, they may not be high profile, but they were clearly well thought of in advance. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, they seem to have been specifically targeted for their roles. Um, in, in the case of uh, Mr. Kovrig, the fact that he is um, uh, not just a, Canadian, a former Canadian diplomat, but the fact that he's well known um, within a small community of China experts, you know, this, this is clearly sending a message. These were very strategically picked targets, which mm -hmm. is disturbing in its own right. So what has the response been by the government of, of uh, Trudeau? So uh, the Trudeau government has basically stated that they, they feel that there's no basis for the detention that they, you know, they've said to China, they're like, you're saying this isn't retaliation. Okay, well, what are the charges? And why are you holding these people? Um, so there's been that kind of, of diplomacy, I think they're trying not to escalate. The situation any further than it has to go. But what they have been doing is that behind the scenes, there's clearly been a lot of effort to work with allies uh, in trying to convince them to make a statement to support Canada. And so far, we have seen a statement from the European Union. We've seen statements from the UK, France, Germany. Uh, there was a statement from Australia this week that basically... Um, said that they, they are concerned they did not call for the immediate release, which is notable because that's, uh, you know, kind of diplomatic language for saying essentially that you don't feel there's any grounds to believe that this, this person should be held. So um, in some ways, and I think that's been, that's been very successful and very important. Um, Canada had a very nasty wake up call in August. And this is, this is slightly off topic, but I think it's, it's important to, to remember um, when Saudi Arabia decided to, mm -hmm. you know, basically really kind of, it didn't break diplomatic relations with Canada, but it really diminished them. And we used incredibly harsh rhetoric and, and did a bunch of things. And, and demanded that Saudis living in Canada 
come home, especially students, that, that they Stu- were sort of recalled, if I if I recall correctly. Yeah, no. Eventually, and this, this was over a, a statement that uh, a Canadian minister made. I forget who. It could have been Freelander. Um, it was, yeah. It, it was. Chief- it was Chris Freeman, the foreign minister, uh, made a statement, you know, just kind of like your regular average middle of the road statement condemning a human rights uh, abuse in a foreign land. But Saudi Arabia seemed to take it very, very seriously and responded disproportionately to that mild rebuke from Freeland. And here we are. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think what was really disturbing for Canadians in that sense was that uh, no other country spoke up for us at that time. And, you know, it kind of, I think, sent a message, I think, to to Canadians that, um, you know, we're living in a time where the United States no longer uh, views Canada necessarily as as a friendly ally. We're now seen as kind of a, a competitor. Trump has uh, put various national security sanctions on us for steel and things like that, uh, and was not willing to speak up uh, for Canada really in any way. So, you know, there's a concern here that, you know, Canada is very dependent on its allies for its position in the world, for its international security. And if allies aren't willing to come to Canada's aid, then are other countries like Russia, Saudi Arabia, Arabia, China, for example, going to be willing to see us as the low hanging fruit. So it is with some relief that I think, you know, at least from my perspective, that other countries have actually stepped up, are actually saying things, are probably engaging in diplomacy behind the scenes on Canada's behalf. Um, Is the United States, though, in, in, in this instance? Yes, they have. They have actually spoken for and called for the immediate release of the Canadians. Um, the, whether or not Trump, I know Trump is in, apparently engaging with President Xi in this large coordinated um, uh, trade war solution that I think he's trying to work out, at least at this time. He, I don't know if the Canadians are going to factor into that. One of the more disturbing things and, and something that was really, really not taken well here in Canada is when Trump tweeted out that he would consider dropping charges against Ms. Meng if China would cooperate with him on trade, because that effectively played into uh, China's narrative that this arrest is political, that Canada is effectively the lapdog of the United States, and that this was done for entirely the wrong motives. And for Trump to basically almost confirm that in his in his tweets and in his or I, I don't believe he made a public statement. I believe it was a tweet that was really not taken well. And actually, what was extraordinary is that we saw the prime minister actually issue uh, the Canadian prime minister uh, Trudeau issue a rebuke to Trump without personally naming him that, you know, this is not subject to you know, this, this charge is not subject to the whims of, of U.S. trade war. It's subject to the rule of law. So it's weird that Canada is in a position where we're having to make that argument not only to China, but also the United States in some ways. And presumably a public statement like that from the president of the United States is something that like Meng's defense lawyers will use to fight that extradition, saying, in fact, this is a political move. It's not a legal uh, maneuver. And it's something that might give Canada an out here, or politicians in Canada an out, should they want to uh, deny that extradition? Well, like, if I was Meng's lawyer, that would be Exhibit A. Mm. Um, that tweet, I would just blow it up and wear it on a T-shirt for, for like, basically for for the defense. So um, it is hard, I think, in Canada. Like, to be fair, I'm not a lawyer. I just play one on a podcast. Um, the law in Canada is such that you know, it, it effectively is more aimed at assisting the extradition than really kind of preventing it. There's only really so many ways to prevent it. You have to, you, but one of the grounds is actually proving that it is a political 
um, situation. So I, it is entirely possible this could happen. It would also not surprise me if there's some backroom diplomacy going on right now to try and convince the U.S. administration to drop the charges, in which case Miss Meng could could eventually go free. In, in some ways, I think that would be the ideal situation that, that, you know, eventually that these charges are dropped in the United States. And then uh, Canada could then not go through the, what will be obviously a, a difficult uh, situation and one that has uh, almost certainly put two uh, Canadian lives in jeopardy. So you, you talked earlier about the ways in which um, this incident is sort of crystal is a crystallizing moment in Canadian foreign policy. Um, it also seems a really interesting um, moment for Chinese foreign policy as as well. Uh, you know, one of the subtexts of of this ar- arrest of of Miss Meng is the fact that China or the Huawei wanted to expand into Canada with its five G network, and there are some Canadian officials who are warning that this that that sort of given giving Huawei this sort of access to this latest new emerging technology and the Canadian market actually you know will give sort of a, a back door towards the government of the People's Republic of China to sort of spy on Canadian citizens and, and you know, do all these nefarious things that you can do with this kind of advanced technology. Um, how much is the debate in Canada now focused on whether or not to let uh, Huawei uh, into the country? Uh, that's a really good point. So, I mean, this issue is such a microcosm of so many things that are going on in Canadian foreign policy in this crazy world that we're now in. Uh, effectively, it's about Canada's relationship with China. It's about Canada's relationship in a lot of ways with the United States, its concerns about whether or not Canada's alone in the world. But the other major issues are, um, about Huawei are in the kind of national security space. And yeah, I mean, basically, I think there's three concerns that national security experts are raising about Huawei generally. Um, the first is, as you said, there's this concern about the back door, whether or not Huawei technology can be used to to spy on um citizens of a country, say like Canada, if through their technology, I think there's also concern though, like, you know, if you're, China is a country that, you know, has now obviously signaled that it's willing to actually kidnap people in order to defend its companies. So do you actually want to give a country like China uh, control over what will be your future critical infrastructure, this kind of stuff that's going to be powering autonomous vehicles, our roads, our, you know, hospitals in a lot of ways, and our ability to perform, say, remote surgeries. That's what 5G is. It's going to be this new uh, incredible technology that's going to basically power our, our next industrial revolution. Do you want to give China control over that? And I think the final thing is, though, is kind of, I think, this broader issue of, like, you know, what is the role of national security in our economy right now? Because, you know, this is a company that is, you know, it's been so successful because it's been championed by China. And as a result of that, it has been, you know... um, you know, there's been various allegations that, you know, the Chinese um, Chinese espionage activities have actually supported the company by stealing intellectual property and giving it to Huawei. And then it can actually therefore undermine um, other Western co- uh, companies. There was a famous company here in Canada called Nortel. And uh, effectively, it, it there's some there's been some complaints that uh, basically Chinese companies stole all of well uh, sorry stole all of Nortel's technology and then uh, effectively came into Canada and dominated our marketplace. Yeah. Um, so those are those are the concerns that are being raised in the national security space. But at the same time, the the argument of those who 
you know, support Huawei being here is that, you know, it is already here. Uh, it's it's funds university research. It's one of the largest university research funders in Canada. Um, a, a technology companies here have already bought into Huawei equipment, and they say it's going to cost you know billions of dollars to effectively, um, you know, replace that that Huawei equipment that's already there in place. So I think you know this is this is part of the concern is like you know either way Canada is going going to face a cost. Um, with with the technology, we are certainly, you know, the the last dimension here. I think that's worth mentioning is how much pressure Canada is under from the United States to basically kick Huawei out, or at least not to let it participate in five G. And that's the, been the decision of Australia, New Zealand, and the UK. While it has still allowed Huawei to be in Canada, it, it's increasingly taking a harsher stance towards it. And uh, major British telecommunications firms, uh, British Telecom, for example, uh, is now ripping out its Huawei equipment as well. So um, there has to be a political decision as to what will happen with Huawei. Certainly it's made its case to Canadians. It's, uh, you know, just to give you an example, um, it's one, it's the lead sponsor of hockey night in Canada, which is uh, really on yeah, TSN. Oh, on TSN on our yeah. sports networks. Um, yeah. It is major. Um, it's you like know, Don I, Cherry wearing a uh, Huawei branded uh, suit. <laughs> I haven't seen that, but actually they're <laughs> sitting at a Huawei branded desk. Uh. <laughs> um, and, you know, just to give you an example, I was at a, a hockey game in November here. I was watching the, the poor Ottawa senators play, although they won. It was pretty good. Um, and, and they had the Huawei social media moment. And I just about swallowed my teeth. And this is before any of this had happened. Um, you know, they, they are making a major play for the hearts and minds of Canadians. But, you know, this is where I have to sit and wonder, has China actually made a larger strategic error here? And um, in the sense that, you know, every time you see Huawei now, the first thing you think of is, A, the arrest of Miss Meng. And secondly, the fact that two Canadians have been kidnapped as a result of that. And you have, you know, I think that this behavior in the long run, you know, Canada is a, a relatively small country. China can live without Canada. But if you are making a play to be here, have you actually kind of misstepped in the sense that you are basically um, threatening a country and cajoling them and insulting them? You know, Canadians are not going to want to do trade with a company who behaves in this way. So have you actually undermined your long term interests in Canada through this kind of knee jerk nationalist response? And my argument to that is probably yes. I would say the last thing to consider is the fact that it's this has happened to Canada. But I wonder if other states are also looking around the world and thinking, hmm, this could happen to us, too. Um, so, you know, like I said, in terms of, you know, there's a long-term interest in Canada, of course, but you have to wonder if other countries are looking at this behavior and thinking, you know, we don't want our citizens kidnapped. Now, does that mean they then acquiesce to Chinese interests or do they try to back away from them? Mm -hmm. Well, and that'll be the decision for that, that Canada is, is facing it right now, you know? Yeah. So it, it's really, it's, it is really a challenge. So, you know, it, but as you say, it, it's a global story. And uh, Canada just happens to be in the crosshairs. But really, I think in some ways, this could be almost any country. Um, it is interesting that uh, Brussels in Belgium, they extradited a spy from, uh, you know, I believe U.S. authorities were able to lure a Chinese spy uh, to Belgium. And the Belgians had actually extradited the Chinese spy to the United States. I, I don't recall any 
similar retaliation in um, uh, against Belgium uh, for China. So that that's kind of an interesting situation. But I think this just goes to show, you know, that that was a military person. This is the champion of China, Huawei. Um, and, and so I think, you know, it, it just speaks to the extent that really there's this kind of nationalist element that's attached to uh, Chinese companies globally. And I think that actually sends a message to countries who are dealing with these companies, what potential retaliation there is if, if China actually isn't happy. And I think, again, that does in some way undermine larger Chinese strategic interests. Uh, well, Stephanie, thank you so much for your time. And, you know, again, I, you know, this is such an important global story. I mean, the fact that you have, you know, these Canadians that have been basically disappeared in China is, is a very big deal. And, you know, as, as we discussed, it says a lot about international affairs, international relations more broadly. So thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing your insights and helping to explain to me uh, what's going on up north and, well, and to the east. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, it, it's cold times in Canada right now, not just because of the weather. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. All right. Thanks. Cheers. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Stephanie Carvin. That was very helpful. Do go check out her podcast. I'll post a link to it on globaldispatchespodcast.com. And I will absolutely be following this uh, this issue in the coming weeks and months and uh, hopefully it will get resolved and, and hopefully those two detained Canadians uh, will be set free as always big thank you to the University of Manchester's Global Development Institute for being an ongoing content partner with the show uh, and we'll have some great new episodes coming from that content partnership in the new year see you soon bye